Welcome to It's Not That Deep with me, Lucy Woods, a mindfulness teacher, and me, Adrienne Kirk, a psychotherapist. Every episode, we discuss navigating the messiness of everyday life. We know it's a big subject, but we will do our best to discuss it lightly and make some sense of it all. In this episode, we're discussing why do I catastrophize? And this is one of those ones that's really close to my heart. For for many years, it, it was a superpower of mine, being able to catastrophize. Um, yeah. I'm the world's best catastrophist. <laughs> I mean, I like to think I'm not anymore, but that's it. I heard catastrophist as a descriptor, and I've owned it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people I work with, this is one of the reasons mindfulness is helpful. I'm sure mm. you deal with quite a number of catastrophists as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's... Um, it, it's, it's it underlines quite a lot of why people come to me. You know that 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 uh, that ability to uh, imagine what's going to happen in the future, and it's almost never a positive thing. It's an anxiety response, yeah. essentially, isn't it? Yeah. Would you say it is anxiety, or it's caused by anxiety? It's certainly caused by anxiety. I think you know. So um, I'm working with somebody at the moment who um, is about to go on holiday and is now. Uh, finding herself more and more unable to leave the house in case she gets COVID and then she would feel like she wouldn't be able to fly. And uh, and, and she, so she's kind of creating this, this big story around something that is sort of the worst case scenario. And I think that I've always thought about it until very recently, I've thought about it like that, you know, that I'm good at planning for the worst case scenario and therefore being able to prevent it happening but I think that is just a story I tell myself to justify all of those negative thoughts actually so so yeah so that we're really good at yeah the planning side of things Mm. but actually it it is it's almost like a preventative measure yeah as you were speaking I was thinking about that sense of getting in your own way really by saying like I need to do x let me think of all the possible reasons why I can't do X. Yeah. And so whilst it might feel helpful, like you were saying, it's like a, it felt like a a helpful superpower to be able to predict all those things. We'll end up doing nothing at all. It is paralysing, right? And so, so I, you know, all of that, all of that time I've spent thinking, oh, I'm such a procrastinator. Actually, these two things feed into each other, right? So it stops me. It in the past, it has stopped me doing things because I've thought, well, what if, what if? You know, it's that what if. You know, what if this happens, and then you know, and then that will happen, and then. You know, and then I've before I know it, I've embroidered this huge, great big catastrophe, um, and then what? I just stay at home, and that doesn't feel very healthy. No, and there's often something underneath it. I suppose fear generally, Mm. and that kind of gets to the crux of why we've even got this capacity as a human to do it, doesn't it? Yes, that it is like you say, this kind of it's like a primitive function fear side of things yeah but you mentioned earlier about the imagination side of things which is much more new function more evolved brain function the sort of last part of our brain to evolve and the two have got muddled yeah well well, they're so good at interacting right so so that ability that our new brains have to imagine and we know from the neurological 
studies, you know, MRI scans show us that imagination and memory, they, they, they trigger the same parts of our brain. Our brain doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Oh, and, and the old brain can't tell if it's really happening now. No. So the new brain imagines something and that fires up the fight, flight, freeze, appease response, fight, you know, and all of a sudden then we, our body's responding as if a saber-toothed tiger is really here right now, even yeah. though we've just thought about the saber-toothed tiger. Maybe we're not thinking about that anymore, but <laughs> once upon a time, that's the thing we had to run from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that, that sense of the physiological stuff that then happens, heart racing, stomach churning, that's yeah, my favourite place. Hands, hands, yeah, yeah, yeah. That hot face thing that you get when you kind of, yeah, when you think, I've done this to myself, you know, I've put myself in this position of danger. <laughs> yeah, and then you're not even as logical as that, no. actually, because the body starts responding. We feel awful. We're ready to run out the way of the... I don't know, tape a tiger, let's mm-hmm. call it, or punch it. And then the rational, logical bit is taken offline yes. as a primitive response. Because yeah. you don't want to be logical about fighting a saber-toothed tiger. You just you want to do it. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm just going to give in. There's no chance I've got of winning. Um, you'd just fight or you'd run. Yeah. Yeah. So then we haven't got hope in hell of trying to reason with ourselves and to say, this is illogical. Yeah. This is not helpful. Mm. That's what we want to get to, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and and it's hard to do right in the moment because, like you say, our lids have flipped, our our prefrontal cortex is entirely offline, and and it's done its work, right? It's 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 told that story, you know. And from from a small child, I haven't liked fairground rides, and and I look at them, and I I've watched too many films where you know, uh, you know <laughs> something awful happens, and the roller coaster comes off the thing and they occasionally on the news there'll be a story about some rickety old roller coaster and so I every time I see one I embroider that story and clearly I will be that person you know in the wrong carriage at the wrong time and get thrown off and and then the adrenaline that comes with that then gets just attached to fear yeah and so and so I'm going to be the person at the bottom holding the coats while everybody else is up there and yet when we be logical and look at statistics yeah. you know you've got far more likelihood of of getting into some issue every time you cross a road or get in a car or something but yes. it's the roller coaster that you go on once every 10 years uh, where a disaster happens very infrequently that that becomes the the, the thing that we sort of fixate on and prevents yeah. us doing it i get it though because the actual i don't like roller coasters because the actual sense of being on it creates a fear response in me yes and some people love the adrenaline and that's what you were talking about earlier isn't it yeah and i see that adrenaline i do not like no i don't so that's you know for me there's there's a there's a thing about not being in control right so somebody else is in control or nobody is on those things right but i don't have control actually it makes me a really poor passenger in someone else's car as well I'm, i'm so my husband hates it um, you know, he'll oh, say, he'll mind. say, don't flinch. I, like, I can't. So that's an automatic response, um, you know, but, but it must be horrible. I would hate to drive me around. Interestingly, I got run over in 2008 and um, I was all right as a passenger before then. I was walking. I wasn't even in a car. I was walking. 
But now when I'm a passenger in a car, that that feeling of out of controlness, mm-hmm. that some my life is in someone else's hand. Yeah. I literally have to close my eyes and breathe and or look out the window and whatever. But then if something happens, like a brake suddenly goes on, whoosh, you know, here's all that chemical feeling. God. Yeah. I, I share the exact same thing about the driving and it is about that feeling like we haven't got the control. Yeah, yeah. It does make me the designated driver in our house, actually. I do all the driving, pretty much. Um. I don't. I just upset my other half a lot by twitching and and things like that. Yeah, I think mine has just decided that it's not worth... That is catastrophising at its best, actually, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Because, you know, there's not even a conscious thought, right? It, It... you know, it's visceral. It's yeah, exactly. I, I'm so practised at that. I don't even think, oh, what if we, you know, my body's already there. And this is yeah. making me all link everything back to the fact that I have anxiety. You know, that's the underlying yeah. thing. And while so much of that is so much better, but I don't wake up every morning feeling like impending doom is coming but it shows itself in those kind of moments yeah and it all stems from years of childhood and adolescent and early adulthood practice at being anxious about everything yes still those pathways are well ingrained absolutely and i think i think what happens is that is that we're able to to manage and unpick sort of the low-hanging fruit these slightly easier things but but we're left with the mu- the much more deeply ingrained parts of that anxiety, right? So, so those are the things that they're much harder. Then it's much harder to practice those skills in that moment for those things. And I hear that a lot with clients. They're kind of going, "I thought I would got over it because I'm much better here, but here I'm still really stuck." But I do think of it as a, a kind of a process, and it. We, we we manage it better with the things that are easier for us to get a handle on and then we're left with as you say the things that are much more deeply ingrained that came first or and a physical yeah right or or they're primitive yeah primitive i mean let's let's get from that primitive basis <laughs> because i'm thinking about top down bottom up yeah. kind of it's a bit of a psychology term isn't it but I feel like the logical rational stuff and the thought about it if I'm really thinking and processing I'm okay but it's the stuff in the moment the knee jerk reaction stuff that there's less time to take a moment you know I might catch it within seconds of it happening but that visceral (gasps) kind of catching you yeah. But do you think in time, like for the other stuff, you know, when so when I when I first started practicing mindfulness, it was because I was massively anxious all of the time about everything, right? And and it didn't feel like I would ever be able to catch something before it happened. Yeah. But there are lots of things now where I can. Those things not not yet. And is it a not yet, right? With the practice, presumably those things will also come. That's my that's my kind of theory on it. I, be, I believe it is. And obviously it's a journey, even though this has been you know, many years of it. I talk about anxiety being almost now a physiological problem first. Yeah. Once the other stuff and the reasoning and the understanding why we're like we are and the ability to notice it once it's arisen, 
we can do that. But it's about will there be a point at which it hasn't arisen yeah. from a smaller trigger that's not necessary for it. And I think that's, you know, that's the journey we're on. Report yeah. back in episode 478 <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> See where we're at. It might be worth it. What I believe is needed is the ability to remind our body that we're safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that... So I recently had a minor operation on my forehead and understandably a man with a knife is hovering over me. It's only local anaesthetic, so I can see. And my body, you know, my heart is racing and I'm feeling a bit churned up. But there was this possibility of recognising the reason that I was there was for my safety yes. what, so that's what I did I lay I closed my eyes I breathed I did many of the kind of safeness exercises that we've done with imagery so <laughs> imagery can be used for good as well if we can imagine ourselves feeling safe tell ourselves we're safe it's okay it's okay and I did lots of that at one point the surgeon kind of poked me and went Are you still with us <laughs> I think he thought I was asleep but it worked. It yeah. was a it was a strategy that was helpful for not letting myself get agitated and tense and flinch every time the knife came and all of those kind of things, which I think once upon a time I might have done. Yes. So we're talking physiological stuff, soothing the body. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because we talk to clients about these things and I'm and I'm you know, and I'm good and reassuring about, you know, this is practice and you, we, we change at different rates. We, we, we can respond to things at different rates and it will come. But there is always that bit for yourself where you think, but will it come for me? Will I, will I manage to, you know? But you're right. That it, that, is, it, yeah. it, is, it is that part. It is that journey. It is. I hate that word. It is. But it is practicing it all the time and knowing that that's a it's a lifelong practice that there isn't there isn't a point to achieve when when we're done no there's never a done but i would suggest for you and other people listening that where are the opportunities where you notice it where it's a bit smaller yeah. it's not like one whilst being on the roller coaster or even you know in the driving situation but other situations where the thought pops in this could happen recognizing that because there's degrees of how much effect they have yes there's the catastrophizing that really sends the body into bush and the mind offline and there's the minor little ones where it's like supposing this might happen yeah and if we can catch those and then work on saying it's okay it's okay and and if we do that regularly if we commit to noticing those Mm -hmm. then then it can build towards the fact that we sit in the car and find it's not that bad anymore yeah it's not that deep it's not that deep (laughs) yeah that's really reassuring because because i am much better at all of those other times now of catching myself catastrophizing and being able to go yeah i mean it might but it's really unlikely Mm. you know i remember i had a client who um had a, a really visceral fear of flying and for anybody in her family to fly. Um, and and she realised, she looked up, she looked up statistics and she realised that this dismissal she had about, about winning the lottery 
um, versus this visceral fear that her husband's plane would crash. Actually, she was more likely to win the lottery than the plane yeah. was to crash. And once she kind of realised that, it gave her a it gave her an in to challenging that that catastrophizing when it happened, yeah. which was, which is kind of really powerful. I think it's a huge perspective shift, yeah. isn't it? To recognise that that is powerful. I, I'm also kind of I was going to say mindful. I'm also aware that sometimes we t- try to talk ourselves logically mm. out of it and we can get a bit stuck yes. because the fear is going, don't do it, don't do it, and the, and the other bit's going, don't be silly, it's fine, it's fine. And if we stay in our heads, yeah, it, we can't always find a way out. So that thing we, we say so often about can we drop into our bodies and can we, you know, can we soothe our bodies right here, right now, in the, in this moment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So Bef- the thought of the catastrophe kicks off the physical response. Can we turn our attention to the physical churning? Yeah. And just and spotlight that. Yeah. And get curious about that and see what difference that makes to kind of breathe into that and not think it about anything. <laughs> Easier said than done. Yeah, that. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, always, always, as you're always saying, always bringing... Bringing our minds back, you know, noticing that we're doing that and then bringing our minds back. You know, this moment, yeah. this breath, you know, it, and it's so powerful. And I think another thing that can be helpful, I think we've talked about this before, is to look for evidence yeah. when we're catastrophizing. Yeah. yeah. Is it true? Is there a likelihood of it being true? Your client was able to do that very much with the, with the lottery example. Yes. It can help. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah I think you're right and you know I think the thing is you know so all of my psychology training tells me that that as as human beings we're not very good at judging risk it's it's something that that you know we aren't good at uh relative risks we're not you know we Things that we habitually do, walk down the street or whatever, we don't think are at all risky. And then things that we don't do very often, go in an aeroplane, you know, we can think are massively risky. Um, oh, that's really interesting as to why we've got that so muddled, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's any kind of reasoning behind that. Well, there's, there's a... So some of it, I think, is kind of similarity stuff. So stuff that is very yeah. familiar... We do without thinking, so we don't we don't see it as particularly risky until situations change, right? And I remember when my nephews were very little, walking down the street, one of them had a football, and you know I, I had to grab him before he ran in. And it, uh, up until that moment, it hadn't occurred to me particularly that walking down the street was a dangerous thing. Until the ball runs. Until the ball. Car. Until the ball. Oh. Until the ball. You know, just bounced into the curb. Thankfully, all that's all it did, um, and. Obviously, I had, you know, I was close enough, you know, to to to, to, to to grab him, you know, but so I think I think we do things that are familiar to us. We don't see as as particularly dangerous or risky, and also things where we think we have control, we don't think are as risky, right? In the same way that more than half of people think they're an above average driver. <laughs> and it comes back to this primary driver of the brain is to keep us safe exactly that's where it's coming from you know this is not like a a fault thing um all humans are wired to survive yes and our threat response are activated now some of us will have had experiences in their lives or environmental factors 
or genetic factors yes. that make us predisposed to being more anxious, more prone to catastrophizing than, than others. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, and that means that physiologically we respond differently. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's just working on how we might bring that bit of ease and that soothing yeah. to it. Um, but that sense of control that you're talking about, uh-huh. that don't have control of very much at all. I was going to say it's an illusion, right? So there's very little we have control about. And and you and I have spoken about this lots of times, where very often the only thing we've got control over is how we respond to a situation. So learning to respond rather than react, you know, is is the control we have. Yeah. We come back to the serenity prayer, right? <laughs> Always. And I was talking about this in some teaching yesterday. Um, for those that don't know the serenity prayer... Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom, wisdom to, to know, know the, the difference. difference. Yeah. And it's the wisdom bit yes. that is the m- most difficult to cultivate, I think. Because, and some of you may remember me talking about that train example, you know, what is within our control, what isn't, getting there on time, buying the ticket, we can do that. Whether it's going to break down or not, whether there's going to be seats, that's not. So that ability to kind of step back and and, and say that. So in I was, I was teaching on Tuesday night and there was a brilliant quote and it was like, if I can change it, why worry? If I can't change it, why, why worry? worry? And I just thought, that's amazing. That's my new mantra. Yeah, I love that. Because so, for so many years, I thought, if I don't have control over it, that is the thing I should worry about. You know, and it is a really, that's a really twisted logic. Because you're right, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. So, why sweat that? Yeah. <laughs> and if only it were just this knowing it is yes, enough. Yes, I know, if only that had been my light bulb moment. <laughs> because we've known that for so many years. Yeah. And all the number of clients I have who people say to them, you know what, you shouldn't worry as much. As if they yeah. go, oh, I didn't think about that. If only I'd thought of it. How foolish of me. <laughs> now I'll just turn that off. <laughs> so yeah. it does take practice. Yeah, it does. It does. And and I think there is that sticky point, I think, which, um, which I think of as like being a conscious incompetence, right? So when we don't know that we could have control over it, we kind of go on our way just being massively anxious all the time and catastrophizing, and right? And oblivious to yeah, the fact there might be anything we can do. Exactly. And then there is that that really sticky period of time where we gain an understanding that it is possible for us to be able to change that, that it is within our control to change our reactions, but not yet. Yeah, well, it's the awareness of yes. it happening is there. Because that's what's being cultivated. And this is one of the challenges with mindfulness. You start to be more and more aware of just where your mind goes, just how you're behaving. And it almost feels like it's got worse. Yeah, because you don't have control. Yeah, but you're right. The the sense of worseness, that's also not a word, is is about the awareness. Yeah. And so awareness is prevalent. We practice being aware. And it's like, great, now I know how kind of messed up this all is. And what next? Yeah. Um, And, I, you know, it is another podcast... Um, and this one's probably coming to an end. But treating ourselves kindly in this yes. process so that we're not bullying and adding to the stress, I think, would be my final kind of point on that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree that if we can engage with 
ourselves with a sense of kindliness, then we are much more able to to notice and to and to change and to hold the thought that brains are plastic we can change how we react how we interact with our world that's right yeah neuroplasticity is a wonderful thing so just yeah that don't don't beat ourselves up for the catastrophizing recognize it's only human yes lovely thank you thank you you've been listening to it's not that deep with adrienne kirk and lucy woods If you've enjoyed listening, then why not subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode?